and so is it Lime, and my card got declined. I couldn't believe it. I have a great credit score. I don't know what that means, but maybe my debit card's just broke. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to Off the Top Podcast. Hopefully, you're not struggling getting your card declined. Maybe you just need to move over to a credit card. Well, today, Jordan and I have your back. What's up, Jordan? Hey, man. How's it going? No, another day, another dollar. Hopefully, that dollar is uh, helping me in more ways than one. Dude, your segue game is on point today. As far as the intro was money, you sounded like a very not experienced or seasoned credit card or finance guy coming out the bat. And then that another day, another dollar just hits it on the point of what we're talking about today, which is going to be kind of the history and like the working parts of credit cards themselves on the producer side of them. So like kind of an unheard but mysterious type of subject we have going on today. And for a lot of people, I believe credit cards have just been around. You know, some of the older demographic may have not had credit cards at a certain point, but they've been around for a while in different and various forms. And these credit cards of what we know today is people can get in a lot of trouble with credit cards, but people can also use credit cards to their advantage and to their gain. Exactly. And I think that that's the most important part about learning about credit cards and how they work and how these companies make money is it's there to benefit you. And there's going to be some cases which we talk about where you're actually getting burned if you don't use a credit card. So you guys want to learn how you're getting finessed, you should listen in. So it all starts in 1850 when the U.S. Postal Service is just crushing it. And someone says, we need to compete with them. And that someone who wanted to compete with the USPS was American Express. And shortly after, 32 years, they introduced the money order, which was a safer way to provide payment through postage at that time. There wasn't Venmo or PayPal or online transactions, obviously. So you had to send money or order money in some way. And that's what American Express really started to take off aside from its kind of postal service. And I think that that's a very important and interesting like aspect of the history of kind of how credit cards start. American Express is known as now like a credit card company and started with competing with a postage company. And so basically what these credit cards or kind of like start to become is companies offering proprietary um, ways of payment. So even like in-store credit or things of that nature is how it kind of like first developed into what we know now. And to me, it makes sense to have a, a method of in-store payment. Uh, having a retail you know, experience, if someone comes in and you know they return something, but you aren't sure that they, they paid for it or you know bought it at your store, especially in that time, you want to keep the money in your store. So these proprietary coins or forms of payment, they would take and essentially say, hey, here's this coin. You can use this for my shop and my shop only, or maybe my shop and my friend's shop, but the money stays with us. And we're just kind of exchanging coins with a little bit of a credit amount on it, a credit to the store. Exactly. So if you guys want to consider it now, what I believe the equivalent would be is quite frankly, like a gift card situation rather than uh, what we would now know as like a credit card. Then you kind of move a little bit further. We're about 1914 about at this point. And department store credit, so in-store credit becomes really popular, marketed, um, consumer-facing. And they're using more and more credit for purchases and larger purchases such as furniture. Where, you know, some ads you can see, it's just like pay three cents a day. And, you know, you can pay this off in X amount of time. And you see that in some places today, like I believe it's called Aaron's 
where, you know, you could buy a TV and pay X amount a month and then attach that as a, you know, a slight interest fee. So that company is making a little bit more on the back end, but you don't have to pay, you know, all $600 up front initially. What these turned into or converted then was what they would call like a charge plate. And so a charge plate would be an aluminum embossed card with somebody's name and address on it, which is a little invasive nowadays. But it also kind of formed into this way of being able to have credit at various different places with one particular item or that embossed charge plate. They're still trying to figure out credit cards. and They're not really sure what it is. But I couldn't imagine, you know, all of your personal information and everything you essentially need to order something online nowadays at the at someone's disposal on one of these charge plates. And then so so after the, the charge plates, you kind of get the first widespread credit card in 1950. So this was called the Diners Club and essentially was founded after someone forgot their form of payment at a local diner and had to pay. And so the Diners Club was a giant card, super commercialized. Funny thing was it was a cardboard cutout, but you could use it for entertainment and travel expenses. So you're just handing around this piece of cardboard and saying, hey, I have this club. Here's my information on it. Um, charge this account or mail it to this account. However, you know, however you want to go about that. And that was kind of the first widespread credit card, which happened in 1950. And so now that we have kind of the first dissemination of credit cards, you see that things start to pick up quite quickly in the aspect of there is going to be something called the Bank AmeriCard mail cards in 1958 that basically is a credit card that got sent out to 60,000 Californians and was used for any type of purchase. So this is where we have basically the first credit credit card. And we also have revolving credit program as well. So it's looking a lot similar to what we know of now as a credit card. Exactly. And you may have heard of Bank of America, Bank AmeriCard. They eventually become Visa or bought out by Visa in 1976. But as we go back to 1966 is when we see the first plastic credit card, kind of similar to what we see today. And that was once again by, you know, the kind of the founders, American Express. And shortly after that, MasterCard became, you know, the first credit company to work with banks in Mexico, Europe, Japan, um, and creating the first kind of international credit card to use in different waters. So it's as you can see, it's kind of picking up super quick at this point, and people are figuring out the business of credit cards. Yeah, exactly. And so now we have a whole bunch of credit cards. And human nature is, is that there will be some fraud or some type of identity theft. So then in 1970, two years after MasterCard kind of went global, uh, IBM unveils magnetic strip technology to prevent fraud to help out with basically just the large growth of this and the security that comes with it. And that card, I mean, it makes sense at a certain point. People probably figured out these cards hold access to X amount of money. If I can, you know, get their information uh, and don't have to swipe the card, I can just input it into the, you know, these credit card machines or processors and, you know, I can use their credit. So now it introduces the magnetic strip. And as people are taking advantage of the system, so are companies as well. So in 1974, the Equal Opportunity Act 
is founded, which basically is, you know, no discrimination to provide a credit card to various races, sexes, genders. And then also right before that was the Fair Credit Report Act in 1970 that, you know, made it very strict guidelines when submitting for a credit card and companies handling your information and the ability to fix errors in, you know, your consumer credit. Thank you for bringing that up, Julian, just because I was going to say with such an advancement in the actual technology and ability to use credit cards, we haven't really talked much about how to, you know, how people are deemed as good borrowers or not. And so this was one of those instances in the Fair Credit Report Act that we start like installing and having somewhat of a bona fide system where you can kind of have these guidelines to fall back on and to look at somebody's consumer credit and possibly fix some of those errors, like you said. The With the advancement of technology too, Jordan's kind of touching on making sure everything is squared away. You know, on chips now, it's been really big overseas and like Europe and other countries. Um, the U.S. is just adapting, but you're getting kind of the chip or the EMV to, you know, submit different data instead of relying on the magnetic strip, which people could skim from you and essentially start charging your card without without having your card. So that's what the, the EMV chip on your card is supposed to prevent. And so things kind of pick up until then. And then finally, 1981 is the first rewards program offered with American Airlines for like frequent fly, flyer miles. And that's kind of the main history of credit cards at this point. Um, there's, you know, small advancements, more companies pop up, more rewards, more incentives, more techniques. But to understand, you know, some of the tips and tricks, you really have to understand how the credit card itself um, kind of works on the back end. Dude, ladies and gentlemen, this guy is on point with his segues today. And so now we are going to be talking about how credit cards basically make their money. And so before we do, I want to talk about basically the impact that it has or the weight that it has on the world and the U.S. economy. So an article by CNBC last June stated that as balances rise, interest rates climb. And so right now, we are slated for this next June to be projecting around $110 billion worth of collective costs and like carrying debt on credit cards themselves, which is, I mean, if your butthole did not just pucker right there off of $110 billion, there's something wrong with you or you don't have a credit card. One of the tips we'll touch on shortly is like you don't you want to do your best to avoid holding credit on your card month to month, um, year to year, essentially. And, you know, that's where some people are very educated and hold credit or hold the debt on their card for various reasons. But one hundred and ten billion is a, a lot of money. It's I think it's going to continue to rise. You know, there's more and more ways to get credit cards today. Obviously, there's more standards to check, but there's a lot more people who have the accessibility to get credit cards. Exactly. And another thing to point out, too, before moving on, is that that credit card debt is being held on accounts that on average credit card interest rates currently right now are close to 17 percent. And so what we're going to be seeing is as interest rates rise, we'll be seeing that credit card interest rate rise as well. So it's going to be very, very aggressively expanding on the debt you hold in the future to come. But now to segue to the actual ways that credit card companies make their money, and it kind of breaks down to four individual ways that they do it. Julian, you want to hit the number one way? 
The first one is something you, you've probably heard or seen in your local stores, but this is, attributes to merchant fees, right? So when you pay with your credit card, you're often assuming that that store is getting 100% of your purchase. So you're paying 10 bucks, you know, they're getting 10 bucks the store. But realistically, you know, those credit card purchases and that interchange fee, about 2% goes to the credit card processing. So that's why they're asking some of these local stores ask for cash instead of card or there's an extra charge for card is because, you know, if you pay $10, 2% of that is going to the, the credit card company. And so over the course of a day and a lot of transactions, 2% can be a lot of money for local stores. And so, you know, you're assuming that the bulk of that is going to to the store, but realistically it's going to the credit card company so that they can make a little revenue on their end. Exactly. And the thing that you think about probably is like, why, why don't these companies or these stores just say, no, we don't accept credit cards? Well, the reason is, is because when you accept a debit card through like Visa or MasterCard, there is an agreement that says basically that you will accept all Visa and all MasterCard type cards. And that includes those credit cards too. And like Julian said, that 2% is like choose away and that's on average. And there's some cards that go higher than that and some cards that maybe go around that or maybe a little bit lower. But what that in turn does is now some stores to fight against the actual rise of their own prices or the costs of selling a good with them basically selling things at a discount, they then increase the prices of their goods to offset that cost. So when I was telling you guys in the beginning of this podcast that you might be biting yourself in the butt by not using credit cards, here's the exact reason why is because some stores will increase their price knowing that all the credit card users are going to be getting like chewing away at their own profits. Exactly. And that's on the merchant side. And so obviously opposite of the merchant is what you are, the consumer. And there's some consumer fees attached to that, which, you know, Jordan has a better understanding of how these consumer fees work. So I'll let him explain for you. So basically what these consumer fees break down to is that you basically have a cost when you pay your credit card or when you use your credit card. And the, the fact of, you know, there's sometimes there's annual fees or like features that you can use. So for instance, like a cash advance on your credit card or a balance transfer or even late fees or ways that they kind of like gain or come up on you as the consumer of the credit card. So those are the kind of like the two ways, like, you know, you can imagine on the store side and on your side that it's a very clear cut in the fact of, you know, what every time you use a credit card, the store gets hit. But every time that you use a feature on your credit card or like, you know, you roll over your annual membership of that credit card, you also pay the fees as well. And that can be tough. So, you know, in some instances, say you want to, you know, do a balance transfer there's a 3% fee on that. So if you want to transfer $5,000, you'll have to pay $150 up front, which to some people isn't a lot, but $150 is $150 that could be used elsewhere, but that is going to the company and away from your bank account. So it's one thing to be aware of. And the, the other thing that makes me kind of wary sometimes, I mean, all industries do it, but essentially some sales commissions. So some companies will sell your, your data to other businesses. Or, you know, retailers will sell it for, you know, better or try to buy it for better insights. So that's why you see a lot of the times you apply for a certain credit card and then you get hundreds, 
thousands of pieces of mail for. Capital One is the one that I see all the time that wants, you know, knows you have a credit card, knows what you could apply for or receive and sends it to you monthly, weekly, daily, whatever, because that information has been sold off by the credit card company itself. And so before you guys get your pitchforks and torches, the the good thing about this or the luck, luckily what this data that they're selling to these other companies are actually anonymized and aggregated. So what they don't, they don't know Julian, for instance, is a chocolate milk drinking fiend, but they know that certain, like a certain amount of sales from his zip code actually equate to like chocolate milk. So that's how they kind of like pick apart the aggregated data to kind of like key in on certain demographics. And another thing too, is that we're seeing a trend in the sales commissions of selling consumer data to be tapering off a little bit on that end. And they're more fake focusing on like a three stable diets of obviously we talked about merchant fees, consumer fees, and nobody can forget basically the interest that they come off of that we were talking about with even that 17% average on interest rate, but can go much higher than that. You kind of touch on the interest rate because if I were to ask you this question, I think you may know the answer. Of a recent survey of 100 major U.S. credit cards, what per average penalty did they find on late payments? Oh, dude, that's that's you want an aggressive number, guys. So the average penalty would be about twenty eight point four five percent on those actual that actual debt, which is insane. That is crazy. That's unbelievable. I don't know how you guys look at your numbers, but, you know, $30 out of 100 is a a good chunk of money. Whatever that may be is like you probably could have avoided it. And that's how people get in trouble is like not managing your payments well or your monthly payments well. And they really, you know, want an arm and a leg if you do mess it, even if it is a few dollars. They're they're really coming after you. And the thing is, though, if we look at this at a grand scheme, I feel like the credit card game has changed a bit in the fact of in the very beginning, the main reason why people would want a credit card or to build credit is to basically get a mortgage. And now we see the game getting a little bit more faster and streamlined in the fact of now that there's so many ways that you can benefit from a credit card and the fact of fighting off that increase in basically stores raising their their price of goods because people are using so many credit cards and some really, really good bonus or bonus point programs that are being ran out there. It's almost in the aspect of the consumer. It's better off if you use a credit card, but obviously in the proper ways. If you're looking for some of those proper ways to help your credit and stay on top of your finances and your budget, Jordan and I have a few tips for you today. You probably want to pay off your high interest cards first. You know, if you're paying off low interest, 1% each month isn't as damaging as if you have a card that's paying 7% or 4% month over month and it continues to grow, along with probably want to pay off that card every month to maximize any potential rewards, you know, reset for the next month, have that emergency fund there because, you know, if you're not paying off month to month, I like to think if you're utilizing 80% of your credit, and you can't pay that, and then an emergency comes up, and you have to max out that credit card, it can be 
in a potential very bad spot to really damage your credit. Exactly. That's Those are really good points. And in the aspect of just kind of being smart and understanding what your credit card's doing, why you need it, and if it's you know beneficial. Because there is a lot of credit cards out there and a lot of credit cards that fit you really well. So you want to find those right credit cards and the fact of understand your consumption habits and where you spend the majority of your money and how and when you do it too. And like make smart moves off of that. And I mean, there's a lot of techniques and tips that people will say, and some even go against what we said right now. And the fact of Dave Ramsey is a guy where instead of paying off your high interest rate credit cards, he says, you know, just get the ball rolling and start paying off your lowest balance to get momentum. And there's no wrong way of doing it, but there definitely, or there's no right way of doing it, but there definitely are some wrong ways. And the fact of you want to just be responsible with your credit cards, your expenses, and your finances in general. One of the ones I, I've really started to try recently <clears throat> after reading some random Reddit threads is understanding that a credit card is safer than your debit card to an extent, right? If someone unknowingly steals your credit card information and runs a charge on it and uses $5,000, you can dispute that and say, hey, that wasn't me. I'm going to go through the right process to dispute that charge. And, you know, more times than not, you are protected and you aren't charged for that. But if someone steals your debit card and uses it for $5,000, it's gone. There's nothing you can do about that. It's just like it's essentially liquid cash as credit is essentially cash borrowed or cash you don't have at the time. I'm a line of credit. And that's why maybe using your credit card for things that like the gas station or, you know, kind of sketchy supermarkets or places like that. So if your credit card gets skimmed and your information gets taken, it's pretty quick to dispute and you don't really have to worry about being in trouble. I hope you guys learned like a good grip of knowledge when it comes to the use of credit cards, the history of credit cards and how they make their own money so that you can basically become a way smarter person in personal finance as well when you use your credit cards and kind of fight the power and the fact of, you know, get as much as you can out of these things without them taking you for a ride as well. 100%. And if you want to know more about handling your finances or making a budget, I believe our first episode is on finances for millennials essentially, but there's great tips in there. We have a podcast on, you know, creating a budget and understanding your spend or best ways to budget where you might learn some tips there. We hope you learned something today. As always, we appreciate your support. Any final words, Jordan? Uh, once again, man, I feel like this is a broken record, but thanks once like one more time, guys. And we really appreciate the support. We really enjoy these messages that you guys are sending us on Anchor as well. Um, and we promise to get back to all of those because we really love basically the the frenzy of you know you guys enjoying what we do here because we enjoy giving it to you guys. Yeah, guys. Thanks for listening and we'll catch you next time.